I wanted to talk about how to work with emotions from a Dharma perspective. Tonight is the first slot, the first open slot in the schedule. It seems to me it's a tremendously important area because we often find ourselves very involved with, captured by, entangled in, identified with strong emotions in our lives, whether it's on retreat or in the relationships of our daily lives. Because of the intensity that we often feel with emotions, we can either get involved in a lot of suffering with it, or we can see actually how to liberate the mind in the midst of it. And I think there are some very helpful tools or skills that can be learned. One of the reasons that emotions are so difficult to work with is that they're very amorphous. They're not a clearly defined object. They're not even as clear as a thought, which is itself very subtle. But a thought has a definite beginning, middle, and end. And even though we may often miss it, <laughs> we sort of can recognize, we, we know, we, ha we have a sense you know, of the parameters of a thought. Emotions are much more amorphous, much more diffuse, much more cloud-like. They don't have such clear boundaries. And so it's very difficult to actually see them or understand them clearly as an appearance in the mind, as an object in the mind. And because of this, because of their subtlety and the fact that they're not clearly defined, we often become identified with them. We often contract into them and create this sense of self. So there are a few steps that I think can be very helpful in working with emotions. The first and the foundation, or the very the critical step that we have to make is coming to a place of acceptance. Acceptance of the feelings that are there are crucial for any skillful working with them. If we're not accepting, and by acceptance I don't mean tolerating or enduring, I mean a genuine acceptance that this, these feelings are there, and it's okay that they're there, we feel them. This is, this is the foundation of what we need to do. But then the question arises, how can we do it? We can know this intellectually, that accepting them is a good idea. I think there are a few very specific tools which help us in the acceptance of emotions. The first of them is a clear recognition. <clears throat> if we don't clearly recognize which emotion it is that is present, it's very difficult to accept it because we're not really aware of actually what's there, of what's happening. I'll just give you an example which 
in previous retreats I've mentioned, it's a good illustration of this point. <coughs> there, was, there was one time in my practice when I was having this very strong feeling come up, lasting a long time, it really felt locked in. And I was noting sadness, 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 sadness. And I was really trying to be with it and note it and be mindful of it. But all of the noting and all of the trying to <clears throat> be accepting of it, it was not... You know, you, you have that feeling of when something is locked in, and this was just staying in that way. So after many hours of trying to be with it and trying to soften and trying to settle, I took a closer look. And I saw that the emotion, the feeling, wasn't actually sadness. It was unhappiness. And that was interesting to me because without much reflection, I might have said, well, it's really the same thing. But they're not the same at all. It's really two quite different emotions, the feeling of sadness and the feeling of unhappiness. What was so amazing was that in the moment of the clear recognition, oh yeah, this is unhappiness. In the moment that I saw it clearly, that's when the acceptance could happen, and that's when the whole thing began to open up. It was like aligning our awareness with the actuality of what, was, what is actually present. So this is the first thing that we can work with. To learn, to learn the skill of clear recognition. And sometimes it takes some time. We may be feeling some things. We may not know exactly what it is. If, if it's a quickly passing emotion, it's no problem. I'm talking about now working with those times when it really feels stuck in some way or we feel caught. At those times, spend some time trying to see clearly, trying to recognize clearly, trying to name the, the emotion. And you might have to try out a few. You know, you'll kind of float a name out. And it won't, you'll know. You know, you, you try it out, this doesn't fit exactly. You try another one, another one. And at a certain point, you'll get the right one. And I think you'll notice an appreciable settling in alignment with what is really there. So this is the first, the first tool of acceptance, clear recognition. With practice, I think that we can get very skilled. We begin to be able to recognize quickly and accurately the whole range or spectrum of emotion. There's another way that we need to work with acceptance and recognition, and that is that often, often emotions come in clusters. They come as a constellation of feelings. And we may recognize one of the cluster and be missing the others. And if that's the situation, 
even as we're recognizing the most predominant one, we still are going to be um, locked into it because we're not recognizing the ones associated with it. I'll give you a couple of examples. One, one very clear one. <coughs> Suppose there's a strong feeling of anger. You know, we know we're angry, and we recognize it clearly. It's undoubtedly anger. And we're noting anger, 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 anger. And there's that feeling of just being caught in it. Take a careful look to see what else may be there. As an example, something that comes, I've experienced a lot in moments of anger, often there can be a feeling of self-righteousness or a feeling of hurt. You know, it's that feeling of self-righteousness, that feeling when we're angry, I should be angry because that person did this, this, and this, and I have a right to be angry. Or there's this feeling of being very hurt, which we may not be recognizing. If we're not aware, if we don't recognize these other emotions which come as associated with it, come as part of the constellation, what happens is that they go unrecognized, and even though we may be noticing And being mindful of the anger, the other emotions are like an underground spring, which keep feeding the anger, and we don't know. We don't know where that underground spring is coming from. In fact, we may not even know that it's there. Again, it's it's tremendously freeing just to begin to unpack this cluster or constellation of emotions. And I think you'll find often that as soon as you open and recognize and attend to all of them, the underground ones, as well as the most obvious ones, again, we can settle in, oh, self-righteous, or hurt. Again, in the, accept- the recognition makes possible the acceptance, the acceptance makes possible the letting go. So this is another aspect One is just discriminating between the different emotions. Second is looking to see if there are associated ones. And the third part of the recognition, which makes possible acceptance, has particularly to do with our mechanism of avoidance of those emotions which are very painful or unpleasant. You know, just like, I'm sure you've noticed the many ways we resist opening to painful feelings in the body, that we really have to learn how to soften, to open to them. It's exactly analogous with our emotions in the mind. There are many emotions which are painful. Emotions like unworthiness, or shame, or embarrassment, or rage, or fear, or loneliness. Or, you know, and we each have our own. Each one of us has certain emotions which we just are very uncomfortable with, which we want to avoid. So we need to see this. 
when there's something going on and we haven't been able to really see it clearly and we've gone through these other steps, take a look at whether there's something going on that we're trying to deny. I'll just give you a few examples of how this operates in our lives because this mechanism is rampant and it tremendously conditions how we live. Just think for a moment how much you might do in your life to avoid the feeling of boredom. You know, at the first sign of boredom, the first inkling of boredom, you know, read a book or turn the TV on or go for a walk or hand in the refrigerator or, and whatever you do here, I'm not quite sure <laughs> what mechanisms you've evolved. But <laughs> they're there, you know, because, because we don't want to feel it. Somehow feeling bored is not okay. We do that for, for loneliness. You know, how much of our lives, how much of the activities we do is simply an effort to avoid feeling that, not to feel lonely. Well, how much you know, personality construct, persona construct, do we embellish in order not to feel unworthy? Uh, the list goes on and on, and as I say, we all, we all, each one of us are conditioned in our own particular ways. What I'm suggesting is that it's much simpler to learn how to feel the emotion. But it's okay to feel bored. It's okay to feel lonely. It's just a feeling that comes and is there for a while and it goes and to live our whole lives trying to avoid it. <laughs> I'll just share with you a personal story. It's, you know, most of these things are just they're part of the discovery that we make on the path in dealing with these things, you know, when, when we look carefully. A number of years ago, you know, when uh, we built our house next door, um, Sharon and I live in its duplex house, and we each have one side of it. But when it was built, I was very enthusiastic and happy just to have a space, you know, some, pri some private space. But after it was built, we got a little bit of flack from some people. Just, it's a really beautiful house, and it's you know, an imposing structure. <laughs> and some people felt it was not appropriate. You know, a, a lot of people just had a lot of sympathetic joy, but there were the other voices. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the beginning, I, it, it definitely, the voices touched me. You know, it was something I had to deal with myself. So just when I moved in, I was doing a self-course. And my mind started, up in the house, I was doing a month retreat. And my mind started obsessing about this. You know, and, oh, I shouldn't be living here, and da, 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 and I went on and on and on, and I was creating all these schemes about what I was going to do. 
you know, I was going to move out to a hut in the woods and just give it to the staff. And, <laughs> <laughs> and finally, after this went on, I mean, this was, I'm saying it lightly, but I was really caught in it, you know, because it was just a very uncomfortable feeling. So finally, after, you know, quite a long time of struggling with this feeling and watching my mind spin out about all of these things, I just, whoa, wait a minute, what is going on here? What, what really is going on? And so I just looked underneath all that mental uh, activity, and I saw that there was a certain feeling, because of kind of the comments that had been made, you know, a certain feeling of embarrassment. And I realized that's an unpleasant feeling. And I didn't want to feel it. I didn't, I, I didn't even know that that's what the feeling was. But there was kind of this unpleasant feeling, and I was doing all of this mental activity involving me in a lot of suffering simply to avoid feeling it. And so when I saw that, it was just like this very clear, very clear recognition. Oh, that's what's going on. You know, oh, embarrassment. I just settled in. I opened to it. I felt it. Oh, embarrassed, embarrassed, embarrassed. It was no big deal. You know, and it went away. And I didn't have to move out of my house. <laughs> and I settled in and I'm enjoying it. But it was such a, such a strong, strong lesson in how we do so much to avoid certain unpleasant feelings involving us in much more suffering than the opening to the actual feeling itself. Okay, even, even though this was, you know, I was really quite involved in this, it still is a relatively minor example. There are other emotions, unpleasant ones, which are much stronger, much deeper, much more painful. The same principle is at work. And so this is the third uh, arena of working. The first is the clear recognition of what's there, so we can discriminate between them. The second is seeing if there's a cluster of emotions and making sure that we really see each of them. And the third is seeing when, we, when we're in some kind of caught state of suffering, just take a look to see if there's some emotion, some unpleasant emotion that we're avoiding, you know, that, that we're not allowing ourselves to feel. Okay, this all has to do with recognition, which is a key to working with it. If we, if we don't recognize clearly what's going on, we, we're living in ignorance, unawareness. Once we recognize clearly, then there is really establishing the relationship of acceptance. And again, this is very subtle. It's not, as I mentioned, it's not enduring the emotion, and it's not tolerating it, and it's not somehow gritting our teeth and getting through it. You know, one of the, the mantras, my favorite Vipassana mantras, 
is it's okay. And just to use this a lot, this came for me actually in trying to understand how to work with fear. Because at one time in my practice, the, I was just having waves and waves of the most, the deepest kind of fear. And it was very difficult. It was very, I recognized it. I recognized what it was. And I was trying to note it. You know, fear, fear, fear. But again, there was something that was just really caught. And there's one particular time I was, it was like a three-day bout. And it was really filling me strongly for about three days. And at the end of the third day, I was really, I was both suffering a lot, but also intensely interested. You know, what is happening here? Why is it so locked in? On the third day, it's like having, having tried everything I knew, there was, there was a moment of real surrender. And that's where this it's okay mantra came. It was, it was in that moment. I said to myself, okay, let this fear be here for the rest of my life. It's okay. And it was amazing because in that moment of genuine acceptance, again, the whole thing just began to open up. It's not that the fear dissipated completely, but it's like there was some free-flowing energy around it. There wasn't that feeling of being locked into it. So acceptance, acceptance is the key. There's recognition, there's acceptance. Okay, this is chapter one, chapter two. Once we recognize clearly what's going on in all the different ways, and once we come to a place of acceptance of whatever whatever it is, then we can do something that is um, perhaps it's uniquely dharmic. I, I don't think that there's much psychological or cultural uh, emphasis on this next step, uh, as far as I know. But I, I, it's very important to do. And that is, once we recognize and once we're accepting, then to bring some discriminating wisdom to what's going on and to see which emotions are wholesome and which are unwholesome. Now, I can just imagine some responses. What do you mean unwholesome emotions? They're my emotions. How can they be unwholesome? I'd just like to offer a possibility (laughs) for you to consider. There are wholesome and unwholesome emotions. Not meaning good and evil, but meaning those which are conducive to happiness, to peace, to openness, those which create suffering. That's what it means. Unwholesome means that which produces suffering for ourselves or others. 
So we have to recognize this. We have to really see, okay, is this emotion worth cultivating or is it worth letting go of? A couple of years ago, I taught a little metta retreat at a uh, Benedictine monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. Just a small, small group of monks. And it's a very liberal monastery, and they had had different workshops throughout the year. And just before I came, they had had a workshop working with emotions. And one of the messages of the emotions was, honor your anger. And they were working with that, and they told me about that. When they told me about that, I sort of knew what it meant, but it didn't sound right to me. Something sounded off. And it's right around this particular point. We don't want to honor our anger. Anger is a burning. Anger causes suffering for ourselves, for other people. What we need to honor is the truth that it's present. That's what we need to honor. We need to acknowledge, yes, this anger is here. So we're not pretending that it's not there. We're not avoiding, we're not afraid of it, we're not denying it. We want to open to it. But it doesn't make any sense at all to me to say, well, honor the anger, honor the fear, honor the hatred, honor the jealousy. These are all afflictive emotions. These are kalesi. These are the things that torment the mind. So again, we do need to honor the fact that they arise. So we're not dismissing, we're not suppressing, we're not denying. But we can bring discriminating wisdom to say, okay, we recognize These emotions are wholesome, they're conducive to our well-being and the well-being of others. Let me cultivate it. Some emotions, which arise because of conditions, are unwholesome. They afflict us, they're painful, they cause pain to ourselves, they cause pain to others. We can be with it and learn to accept it and recognize it And then with discriminating wisdom, understand, yes, this is something to let go of, not to cultivate. So this step is very important, because if we don't have the wisdom to discriminate between the two, unknowingly in our lives, we perpetuate cycles of suffering. If we think that every emotion that arises is worth practicing, is worth cultivating, there's no possibility of coming out of suffering because some of them are the very causes of suffering. So this is the second piece, and it's a very important piece, I think. The first, it has to be done on the basis of acceptance. Okay, that's why the acceptance comes first. Because otherwise we get into a judgmental mode rather than a discriminating wisdom mode, and that's very different. So there's recognition, acceptance, there's wise discrimination, 
seeing what's wholesome, what's unwholesome, what leads to happiness, what leads to suffering. Third chapter. And this is the chapter that deals with the experience of freedom in the midst of emotion. You know, during this retreat, you have, it's such a wonderful opportunity. I mean, you, ha- you have just all this time and the space simply to be noticing carefully the very nature of the mind, the nature of your experience. It's, it's really a tremendous, tremendous uh, opportunity. In this regard, in regard with working with emotions, Pay some attention. Notice what happens. Notice what your experience is like. You're going along, you're going along, everything, you know, some wandering here and there, but the mind's more or less open and flowing. And then something happens, either a memory or an interaction or a certain feeling in the body. Something happens, and there's an emotional response. Notice the difference between when the mind identifies with that emotion, contracts into it. And you know the feeling, you know, it's like, I'm feeling really angry, or I'm feeling so sad, or I'm feeling exhilarated. That extra sense of I that so often happens. Notice what it's like when that sense of I, that sense of identification happens with an arising emotion. And notice what happens when that sense of I is not there, when the emotion itself simply is another arising in this display of changing appearances. It's two different worlds. In the first, we become imprisoned in the emotion. There's this contraction of self through the process of identification, and it's as if we lock ourselves in the prison of that identification. And in the other, the same emotion may be there, but we're relating to it in a completely different way. We're feeling it. We're not feeling it any the less, but we're not adding to it that extra claim, this is me, this is who I am. So as you go through the day, really notice these two, these two ways of being with it. I'd like to uh, just talk a little bit about ways of not identifying. Because this process of identification with emotion happens so quickly, and it's so much our habit. (coughs) You know, for most of us, even though we get lost in thought a lot, I think just through your experience in meditation, I'm sure you you have at least a sense, a good sense, that thoughts really do just come and go. There's, we do get caught, we get, we get lost in them, but we also have the experience of them being impersonal, 
somehow they just arise and are there and are gone, and we, we can understand the, the empty nature of them. With emotions, it's much harder. And we can talk about them being non-personal, but for most people that hardly makes any sense. It's like, if we're anything, we are our emotions. You know, it really is, for many people, what defines us. So it is hard. This is, this is quite subtle to learn how to experience emotion without that added identification with them. I'd like to suggest just a way of practicing that, you know, just so you can begin to play with it and explore for yourself. I need a little demonstration. This is Okay. <laughs> there are three things which are going on. The first is the external situation. Something happens, and because of that happening, it's the condition for an emotion arising. Let's say somebody does something and we get angry. Okay, this is a common, common experience. There's the situation, and then there's the emotion here. Over here is the way we're relating to the emotion. Usually what happens in our experience is we are going back and forth between one and two. That is, there's the situation, conditions the emotion. In the midst of the emotion, we start thinking more and more about the situation, which just generates more and more of the feeling. We go back to the situation, and often, in, in, a, in an emotion of anger, often the tendrils back, the tendrils of thought back, often involve feelings of blame, thoughts of blame, and you know, why did you do this, and why are you doing this to me? So we're caught. We're caught in this loop of one and two. The situation causing the emotion, the emotion producing thoughts about the situation. And we can really get lost. There's no freedom in that. What we can do is to shift our perspective and move from one and two to two and three. That is, we can begin to be with the emotion, let's say the anger, for example, and instead of thinking back to the situation, ask ourselves the question, how am I relating to this anger? Now that question does something tremendously empowering. Because what that question does, how am I relating to the anger, absolutely and completely removes the situation from being a, a place of consideration. How we relate to the anger has nothing whatsoever to do with the situation. It's totally our own process. This is tremendously empowering because we often cannot control the situation. So if how we feel is necessarily dependent on the external situation, it's hopeless. Because we can't control the situation often. It's lots of things are happening. 
And so we're enslaved, we're just caught in that trap. But actually, how we relate to the emotion is totally up to us. It's not at all dependent on the situation. That's why moving to two and three creates the possibility for freedom. Okay, so now what's the question that we ask? And again, this came up for me in a particular situation. It was here at IMS uh, quite a few years ago. Somebody did something that I thought was quite harmful. And I just got furious. I was so angry. I hadn't been so angry <laughs> for a long time. And I'm, no, I'm anger, 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 anger. And it didn't make a dent. <laughs> this went on for hours, just because my mind kept going back to the situation, so it kept fueling the anger. And I went to sleep that way. And the anger, the energy of the anger, my body was. It's like going a million miles an hour, the energy. That energy woke me up at four or five in the morning. I couldn't believe it. It was strong enough to actually awaken me from sleep. It was at that point, it was too much. I, it really piqued my interest. You know, what is going on here? What actually is happening? It's fueling all this. And the question that came to mind in that moment was, how am I getting so caught in this anger? How am I getting so hooked? And it was amazing because in that moment of asking the question, what I did, although I didn't know it at the time, I had shifted from one to two, two to three. I changed the perspective. How am I getting hooked in this? And just that change of perspective, it was like a magic moment. In that very moment, all of that anger dissipated. It, from that rough, burning energy in my body, there was that immediate flow of soft, gentle energy. I couldn't believe it. It was just like a complete turnaround. It may not always happen so dramatically, you know, but sometimes it might. But it's that shift of perspective which makes it possible. Each one of us has to formulate the question for ourselves. You know, for me, that formulation worked. How am I getting hooked? How am I getting caught? And it wasn't for the purpose of getting an answer. That's not the purpose of asking the question. The purpose of the question is to shift our perspective from where we're looking at the anger. Do you follow it? So we're not so lost in the, we're not lost at all in the situation anymore. We're really taking an internal look at the inner relationship. Then, I mean, what happened in that particular story, I, having gotten unhooked, then I could go back and speak to this person and actually communicate in a very effective way because I wasn't simply venting my anger on him. Okay, almost done. One more little piece. So this is one way of practicing how not to identify with the emotion. You know, how to step or to 
to take the identification out of the equation. There's one other way, which is very subtle and, again, tremendously freeing. Assuming there's some strong emotion, for whatever reason, it could be anything, it could be anger, it could be happiness, it could be sadness, it could be fear, it could be rage, it could be unworthiness, anything, any emotion at all. It's arising once we've gone through the steps of recognition and acceptance, which are the key steps, then it's to It's to ask the question, and again, the question is not for the answer, the question is to turn our attention in a certain direction. It's to ask the question, who or what is knowing this feeling? Who or what is knowing the happiness, the sadness, the anger, the fear? This is a very, very freeing moment, because the knowing, the awareness, is itself untouched by it. The awareness is pure. Its only function is to know. The emotion, from this perspective, is like a display of fireworks in the sky. The emotion itself is an appearance which is known. Can we drop back, or can we notice, the nature of that awareness itself? So that we're not so, or we're not identified at all with the emotion itself, but we actually are aware of the knowing, aware of the awareness. That is tremendously freeing. Just one image, which, I don't know, or a couple of images. Please take these only as images. They're not, it's not an exact representation, but it's just to give a, you know, a little sense. When there's a reflection in a mirror, one could either focus on the appearance of the reflection or the nature of the mirror itself. That's the difference. But you can't separate them. You, you, can't, you can't take the reflection out and put, oh, yeah, the reflection's over here and the mirror's here. No. They're inseparable, but they're two different things. They're distinguishable. The appearance is one thing, and the nature of the mirror is the other. Okay, so the emotion, or anything, any appearance, but for now it's the emotion, is one thing, and the knowing mind is another. And so the question is, what is the nature of this awareness? That is a very key question in meditative practice. What is awareness?
So I hope all this wasn't more confusing than when we started. There are ways that I have found to be for myself really helpful, both in understanding strong emotional energy, of how to recognize them, come to a place of acceptance, apply some discriminating wisdom, and learning how to free the mind in the midst of them. That's that's what we can do with emotions in our practice. Do you have any questions or things you'd like to mention now for a few minutes about this? Okay, why don't we just sit for a few minutes. This talk was given by Joseph Goldstein at Insight Meditation Society on November 10, 2001. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.